0: Do you remember who your childhood heroes were? I mean, it's different for everybody, depending on when you grew up and where you grew up and what was going on in your life. But for me, I mean, a lot of my heroes as a kid were uh, were sports heroes. I mean, I loved sports when I was a kid, and I mean, I still do, but uh, I'm not a kid anymore. But I always enjoyed um, watching people who were really good. I mean, don't we all? No one likes to watch someone who's Not very good. It's not fun to watch. So as a kid, right, I loved Barry Sanders, one of my favorites. For me, I mean that is like my memory of Thanksgiving as like a kid, is I'd go and I'd watch the Lions lose on Thanksgiving, but Barry Sanders would have a great game, but the Lions would lose, and then you know, have a huge Thanksgiving meal. That for me was like one of my memories of childhood. Barry Sanders or Peyton Manning, I mean these great athletes, the Michael Jordans and the Tiger Woodses of the world. I mean, these incredible athletes. And so for me, when I was a kid, you look up to them and you think that, man, if I can only just work hard enough or maybe get the right shoes or maybe drink Gatorade, I'll be just like them. Uh, Except, And so that's what I thought, right? And so when I started playing really organized sports, like school sports in middle school, I thought, man, I should be able to, to just to do what they do, you know? And I started to come against reality probably when I was in the sixth grade. I've shared this story before, but uh, the only sport you could do in sixth grade was uh, was cross country and track And so I tried out for the cross country team in the fall of my sixth grade year And I thought for sure I was I, mean, I knew I wasn't the fastest kid in the world But like I thought for sure just a little practice and, and the right amount of Gatorade And I'd pretty much be like Michael Johnson sitting records in the 400 meters uh, Turns out I didn't Turns out when we had tryouts he had to run a mile and a half in 12 minutes And I ran a mile and a half in about 1230 Which was 30 seconds too slow So I got cut from the middle school cross country team Which was a uh, Mildly embarrassing because what they then did is offered me the position to be the manager. And so I really wanted to be involved. And so I said, sure, I'll be the manager. And so they gave everyone on the team, you know, they gave them like the the singlet, you know, well, not the whole outfit, the, the shorts and the shirt to match. They gave them like the track suit, you know, and everybody had like red warm ups with white accents this is Colonial Heights Middle School. And and uh, and I was the manager. So instead of a, instead of like a uniform to run in, I got a clipboard. And instead of the track suit that everyone wore for warm-ups, I got a a white warm-up suit with red accents because I was the manager, so I needed to stand out. Which, as a sixth grader, was was embarrassing, right? Like that's that's not like what you want. And I realized, like maybe then and there, that I wasn't quite wasn't quite what I thought I was I could have been uh anyway seventh grade rolls around and in the fall I say okay obviously cross country is not my sport I love football I'm gonna play football and and you know to me right like I've watched Barry Sanders I'm like I'm I'm really a natural running back honestly I mean I was about four and a half feet tall and pretty slow and fairly wide. I was not I was not built like a running back, but in my mind I, I just had the natural foot speed and agility and vision of a really good running back. So so I remember we started out the first day. They didn't have tryouts, so I wasn't gonna get cut. Huge plus for that one. But what they did have was just kind of like sorting everybody out on the first couple of days to figure out where they'd play the rest of the year. And so I remember they said, okay, all the receivers and running backs go down here, all the linemen go down to the other side of the field. And I was a running back. So I was like, all right, I'll just go on down here with the running backs. And, and we were running routes and the quarterbacks were gonna throw the ball and and we just, we catch passes. And so they let me run two routes. And uh, the first one was, I mean, totally not my fault. The quarterback was way off target. The second one, I mean, it was beautiful. I just ran straight downfield, cut towards the goalpost. I mean, just lofted it out, just dropped right in my, you know, soft hands, I had great hands, you know, just didn't have the speed to match. And so after that beautiful play, which I thought would have cemented my legacy as one of the best backs to ever play at Colon Heights Middle School, they told me to to go on down with the linemen. Um, And so I, starting that day, I maybe touched a football in actual um, practice or games, maybe a dozen times in the rest of my like football, for like the next six years. I didn't, I recovered a couple fumbles, um, you know, maybe like an onside kick once, that's about That's about it, uh, it's just, that was, that was where we went. So, so then later, right, spring seventh grade, I thought for sure, I mean, this is my moment, my golden moment in the sun, my chance to shine and show everybody what an athlete I am, because I always felt like I was better at baseball, you know, I mean, I really, I was better at baseball. And so I tried out for the baseball team, they did have tryouts, but I thought for sure, uh, I'd make this cut, uh, and, and they did have two rounds of cuts. So day one, I made the first day, I made the first round of cuts, I was good. On to day two, when it came to day two, they uh, they came and pulled us in at the end of practice, and said, okay, we gotta cut a few people um, you know, today, and then they listed all the people that were on the team, and then I wasn't on it. But then they said, hey, hey Hopkins, uh, so we got a we got a job for you. I said, I think I know where this one's going. <laughs> say, how would you feel about being the alternate? And I say, okay, like what's uh what's the alternate? Say, well, you know, um, basically means like if something happens, like you can you can play in the game. I was like, okay, cool. So like, uh, do I get a uniform? No. Oh, um, well, do I like get to sit on the bench? No. Oh, well, like I can come to practice? No. Oh, so. I'm not really on the team at all, am I? No, you're not. <laughs> uh, it's one of those hard lessons I had to learn as a kid. It was like it was like the sports equivalent of being like put in the friend zone. Like, oh, I thought this was going. No, okay, that's cool. I'll just go. I'll just go over here. It's all right. You you do you. I'll go on my on my business. Um, That was my middle school sporting career. I had to learn a hard lesson um, is that not everyone is Barry Sanders and not everyone is going to be the person who gets all the press. Not everyone is going to be the person who gets all the publicity and all the praise. As a matter of fact, I had a coach in high school who, uh, who put it like this said, listen, you don't, not everybody's going to be the guy who gets his name in the paper, but sometimes if you just do your job, sometimes you'll get your name in the paper, but you just do your job. And you just let it sort itself out. Just do what you're supposed to do. Take care of the business that's in front of you. Turns out that's what I tried to do. It was pretty good advice. Didn't really get my name in the paper very much, but that's not the point. I think as we begin to realize, it's not about what you do so that people recognize you. It's about you doing the right thing where you are, no matter who recognizes you. As we come to the end of this section, uh, really at the end of Ephesians, this is our last message in the series on a reset that Paul is describing that God makes available to all of us as we live in the kingdom of God. I think he closes out this section with a couple of really important ideas. One of which that we're gonna really focus on today, uh, which is this idea that not everyone's Barry Sanders, but everyone's got a role to play and that we don't do our job so that other people recognize it. We do our job so that someone only one recognizes it. So we turn to Ephesians chapter six, verses 18 through 24, I invite you to follow along with me as we read this together. Paul writes this, his last words in Ephesians. He says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and, be, and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I'm doing and what I'm doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love and faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now grace to all who love our Lord Jesus with an undying love. And So as we read that, I mean, these are Paul's last words to this church in Ephesus, and uh, and so one of the things that we have to remember is we have to remember a few things about Paul, right? We have to remember that here's a guy um, who was a Pharisee. I mean, he was a very religious, religiously zealous Jew. I mean, he knew the Jewish scriptures, but God had called him out of that life into new life with Jesus, to wake up from a from a kind of dead religion and legalism into following a relationship uh, with the Person of Jesus and being filled by His Holy Spirit and and, and what Paul then realized that that his mission was then not to the Jewish people, but it was going to be to the to the pagan Gentile. World and so Paul traveled across the known world. I mean, this time he's he's uh, he's planted dozens of churches in in areas that had never heard about Jesus before. He's brought the very message of the gospel to to a, a number of different cities. I mean, including some of the most important cities in the world. I mean, he he brings the gospel to the city of Ephesus, the third largest city in the ancient world, a huge hub of trade and commerce and also of religion. I mean, just different kind of pagan ideologies is. Uh, center of the great temple of Artemis uh, in Ephesus, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. We hear that Paul uh, eventually goes to places like Athens and Rome. I mean, these huge, ancient, powerful, important cities. Uh, I mean, among other things, he's written dozens of letters. Um, He's debated philosophers in Athens, which, you know, knows a thing or two about philosophy. Uh, he was widely known throughout the church in this time. I mean, people would have recognized his name and, and, and heard of his teaching all across the church that was growing, I mean, exponentially at this point. But one of the things I think that's important for us to remember about someone like Paul, who, uh, who today, I mean, has influenced, I mean, billions of people over the course of 2000 years, is that Paul didn't know he was writing the Bible. <laughs> Like when he's writing letters, when he's planning churches, when he's preaching the gospel, when he's uh, helping people through situations, he didn't know he was writing the Bible. He didn't know he was gonna be someone who'd be remembered for thousands of years. He was just doing what God had called him to do right where he was. And it's so important for us to remember because sometimes I think we forget that the heroes of our faith were really just ordinary people that God had called to do I mean, really fairly ordinary things. And then he took their fairly ordinary things and then he made them exponentially greater than anything they could have begun to ask for or imagine. It's just so easy for us to forget that and to overlook that, um, that in the end, they don't really know how their story would be remembered. And they really didn't know how their story would end. And so I just wanna offer that maybe as an encouragement for us today. I mean, as we're coming towards the end of 2020, here we are in November, Um, This has been a year for a lot of us, and the truth is, we don't really know how this story is going to end, and we don't know um, how these times are going to be remembered. And that's not up for us to decide. All we have to decide, to paraphrase J.R.R. Tolkien, is what to do with the time that's given to us, what to do with the time that's set right before us. And just to remember, it's not about us doing anything great or extraordinary, it's just us doing the ordinary and the normal out of obedience to God and in relationship with him in the course of our lives. Um, And so we see something I think that's helpful for us as well is that here at the end, remembering that Paul didn't know that Paul was gonna be Paul, he was just Paul, right? What he says is uh, he asks for prayer. He closes his letter by asking for prayer, which you know, as a side note should tell us something, right? Is that he knew that he didn't have it all figured out like no one asks for prayer, I mean, I say this like as someone who um, deals with people giving prayer requests a lot. People who think they have their life together don't ask for prayer. Did you know that? Maybe you've done that. Maybe, like people who have their life completely figured out, they don't ask people to pray for them. And when you, when you ask them like, hey, is there anything I can pray for you about? They kind of, ah, you know, hmm, no, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, I'm all right. Uh, well, there's this one thing, right? But, but, you know, people who have their life figured out, they don't, they don't ask for prayer. But there's the second thing, right? Is that what people actually ask for prayer about is something that actually really is typically bothering them. And so maybe it's worth us considering, right? Uh, two things. Number one, everybody needs somebody to pray for them. Everybody needs somebody to pray for them. Paul needed somebody to pray for them. Jesus, we hear in the gospels, he needed people to pray for him. Jesus asked people to pray with and for him. Can you imagine that? I mean, he pulled Peter, James, and John aside and he said, hey, keep watch with me. Keep watch with me. Jesus asked people to pray with him. Jesus asked people to pray with him, not because he said, this is a very good spiritual religious activity that you need to do. Jesus asked people to pray with him because Jesus didn't want to pray alone. Do you ever think about that? So. Somebody, everybody always needs somebody to pray for them. Um, so maybe today, uh, just important for you to think like, it's okay to ask people to pray for you. It's okay to ask me to pray for you. Um, it's okay to ask. And the second thing is like, maybe maybe you need to just hear that as an invitation to prayer. An invitation to pray for other people in your life, to to pray for people who maybe um, aren't going to ask for it because they think they have their life figured out, but you know they don't have their life all the way figured out. And maybe that's an invitation for you to be the person who's going to pray for them, to be the person who's going to take them to Jesus. Um, So that's number one. Everybody needs somebody to pray for them. Number two is that uh, what people pray about says a lot about what they think they need. Did you hear what Paul actually asked for prayer about? I'll go back and read it. He said this. He said, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains because he was literally in chains in prison. He continued, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Did you catch that? Paul asked for people to pray that he would proclaim the gospel fearlessly. And he actually asked that twice. So you know what that tells me? And like, I mean, I don't think this takes a rocket science. You know what it tells me? Something that Paul was afraid sometimes. Like there were times when Paul, Paul the, the great like apostle of the faith, Paul who preached um, in synagogues and was thrown out of synagogues and was stoned and was beaten and was shipwrecked and was abused for his faith. Paul who would eventually be martyred for his faith. Paul was afraid sometimes. He needed people to pray that he would be fearless. It's like, it's okay, it's okay to not have it all together. It's okay to recognize and acknowledge that you don't have it all figured out. Because you know what, Paul didn't have it all together. He wasn't perfect. And sometimes he was afraid. And so maybe the other side too is like, sometimes if you feel like you're a little inadequate to maybe share your faith, sometimes if you feel like, you're inadequate when it comes to living out your faith. Sometimes you feel like maybe you don't have it all together. You're not a good enough example. You're not bold enough. You don't know enough. You're not smart enough. It's okay. Not everyone has it all together. Just ask for help, ask for someone to pray for you. And remember in our weakness, that's when God's power is made perfect. And even someone like Paul, the apostle Paul, he needed people to pray that he would be fearless in proclaiming the gospel. that's point number one. This is a lot about prayer. Um, as a PS to that, man, I appreciate when you pray for me. <laughs> this isn't just like a PR, uh, a nice like advertisement to encourage you to pray for me, but look, everybody needs somebody to pray for them. And, uh, and I always need it, right? Everybody does. And so everybody needs somebody to pray for him. That's really important. So the second part here um, is that I think as we kind of move through this section in Ephesians as Paul's closing out is to remember that uh, it's evidenced by what Paul starts with by asking for prayer, but then is explained further on as he gets into some of these instructions is that Paul recognizes that this is not his mission. It's not his thing, right? He's not in charge. He's not the only one who's responsible for it. And he could not do it alone. He's an ambassador in chains. He's locked up in a prison cell. He couldn't uh, take this letter anywhere. He needed support from the local churches for food. Because in the ancient world in prison, they didn't give you meals. They didn't provide for you clothes and bedding. Uh, You had to be dependent upon people from outside of the prison to actually provide that for you. Paul was dependent upon local churches every time that he was in prison to provide for his needs. Literally, he was dependent upon his friends. He couldn't have survived without them. Paul needed other people in his life. And so let that just be an encouragement to us. Like you aren't meant to do this alone. And, uh, and you need some other people in your life as well. See, the thing is, even someone like Paul, even someone as important and as famous and as well-known as he would, even someone who, whose writings would influence human history as much as Paul's have, um, he needed people in his life to help him through it. I mean, he needed an offensive line. He needed a caddy. He needed someone to block for him and to catch the, like, we all need people like that. I mean, Barry Sanders needed people to block. Peyton Manning needed someone to block for him and to throw the ball to, right? Tiger Woods, he needed a caddy. I mean, these are these are like such basic things that sometimes it's so easy for us to overlook. But everybody needs someone to pray for him, and everybody needs somebody to help him, too. No one was meant to do this life alone. And Paul explains what this looks like for him. He had this a group of people who would work with him and travel with him. And one of those people he mentions here in Ephesians, this is a guy named Tychicus. I want you to hear about what he says about Tychicus. He says, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant of the Lord, will tell you everything. That's some high expectations he's putting on Tychicus. I'm just saying. He said, he will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, high expectations that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you." Whatever else Tychicus may have been, he was probably a guy who could think on his feet, certainly a friend of Paul's, uh, also someone who had a great heart and would be someone who could encourage this local church in Ephesus, who just needed encouragement. They needed encouragement, they needed support, they needed some guidance, uh, and they just needed some prayer and, and some help and some love, honestly. They just need a little bit of that guidance. And that's who Paul is sending in his place. He's sending this guy Tychicus. And the interesting thing is, like, we don't really know anything else about him. You know, I mean, We don't know uh, who his parents were. Like, we don't know where he went to school. We don't know what college he went to. We don't know um, how many degrees he had or didn't have. We don't know how much money he made. We don't know what car he drove. We don't really know anything about him. Well, we hear a couple things about him. I mean, like in this letter to Colossians that Paul sends about the same time as he sends his letter to the Ephesians, he mentions Tychicus doing the same thing probably his boy was just on like a route delivering letters, you know, and then explaining it and then going on to the next place and delivering a letter and explaining that one too. Uh, we hear about him in some of Paul's other letters, like in Titus, he mentions him. Uh, we hear about Tychicus in, in the book of Acts. I mean, he only gets like one mention there and there we just hear that he's from Asia. He and some other dude from Asia, which is uh, pretty vague. <laughs> like Asia it's a big place. Uh, and even in the ancient world, I mean, at best, that could have just been describing the area that we know as modern-day Turkey. So, look, we really don't know anything about him. Uh, but I think that's important because so often when we think about faith and we think about the Bible, we think of it as these stories of, like, these incredible people, right? And kind of like I mentioned, it's so easy for us to forget that they were just ordinary people living ordinary Lives, and that they didn't know how their stories would turn out, but God used them in the ordinariness of their lives to do incredible things that would be testimonies of of God's faithfulness for generations. When you read through the Bible, pretty soon you eventually realize that it's a story about nobodies. It's a story about people with no significant background, no kind of noteworthy accomplishments. They wouldn't be people that you would pick or that would really stand out in a crowd, just a bunch of nobodies but that God uses nobodies in incredible ways. I mean, just think about it, right? Uh, I mean, you go back through the gospels and there's all these different moments and times we just get snapshots of it. There's this story where Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee to this region that's known as the Decapolis. And he uh, he encounters there um, some dude who's possessed by, we just hear a legion of demons. He's having a bad day. Jesus meets him, and then when when Jesus meets him, Jesus sets him free. I mean, he sends the demons away, and uh, he sets him free, this man free, from a bondage in which he'd been for years. Um, We hear that this man is, like, made sane, made whole, he's restored, he's renewed, he's sitting in his right mind beside Jesus, talking with him. The people from his town come out and they say, what just happened? This is not cool. Who's this Jesus guy? Tell him to get to stepping because we don't want him over here. And Jesus says, all right, we'll see you guys. Maybe some other time. Uh, Jesus goes back to get in the boat. This man whose name we don't even know, comes up to Jesus and he says, let me follow you. Jesus said, no, go back home. Tell the people in that town, the people who asked me to leave, tell them about me. Tell them about what I've done for you. Let your life be a witness and a testimony to my power. And that's what he does. And it's fascinating because like a couple, a mere couple chapters later, like we don't know what this guy's thinking. He's probably crushed, right? I would have been. Somebody does something incredible for you. You're like, man, this is my moment. God is calling me and inviting me to something. He said, Jesus, let me follow you. Jesus said, no, go home. He Probably was upset, Right. And yet, if he had only known that a couple chapters later Jesus would come back, and that when Jesus came back the second time, you know what Jesus found? He didn't find people who were telling him to go home. He found people who were bringing their sick, bringing the hurt, bring the people who were struggling with all sorts of issues to him. Uh, Jesus found a ready and willing crowd. Why? All because some guy whose name we don't even know just told people about what Jesus had done for him. We hear about the story. Um, in Samaria where Jesus one time he sat down beside a well his disciples went in town to get food and and there's a woman who's at the well in the middle of the day she's a woman who's an outcast in her society she's been married multiple times She's now living with a man who wasn't even her own husband. She was a literal outcast in her society. People looked down on her. People called her names. She wasn't allowed to be in the respectable places in society at the times that other respectable people were allowed to be there. Going to the well was kind of a big social thing in the ancient world, and most people would have gone at the very beginning of the day. Why? Because you need water at the very beginning of the day. Don't you? I mean, I turned on a sink, but they didn't have sinks. They had to go to a well. Uh, here, this woman wasn't allowed to go to the well in the beginning of the day. She had to go in the middle of the day because people didn't like her. People called her names, said she was dirty, said she was dumb, said she was worthless. And that's when she met Jesus. And Jesus specifically came and found this woman, and he told her uh, about herself, and he told her about him. And she ran back to her town, Samaria, yelling that, Come and see this man who has told me everything that I've ever done. He must be the Messiah. And would you believe it? The people of Samaria who were generally regarded by Jews as unpious, uncivilized, the, I mean, the, the outcasts of society, um, that they come out to him and they invite Jesus to stay in their town for a couple days. And this is many believed in him as a result of their time with him, not just this woman's testimony, but this woman's testimony started a chain reaction that allowed this region to experience the healing and the life of Jesus with them. And you know what? We don't know her name either. Are you catching on? We hear about somebody's name who we actually do know. His name was Simon. Uh, he was just a guy who was in Jerusalem for a pilgrimage. He was from this, he was a Cyrene we hear. If that means anything to you, it probably doesn't, but that's okay. He was Simon the Cyrene. He uh, happens to be outside of the city of Jerusalem on a particular Friday morning uh, when this Jewish rabbi who's being crucified by the Romans comes stumbling by. The Roman centurions say, you carry his cross. Well. Simon does it. Why? Not because he thought that he was going to be in the Bible, but just because he happened to be there. And so he carried this man's cross up to the the top of this hill, up to Golgotha, um, where this man was then crucified. Simon probably didn't fully understand at the time that he was carrying the cross of Jesus and that that would be a moment that would change human history. Simon also didn't know that eventually, that experience would be so powerful for him and for his family, that he would have two sons, Alexander and Rufus, and those two sons would become important players in the Roman church, the Roman church when it eventually got started in the city of Rome, such that when Paul writes his letter to the Romans, he, said, he gives him a shout out, he says, say hi to Rufus for me, the son of Simon. You see the picture? God uses nobodies. I mean, he uses people like Peter, who was just an uneducated fisherman. He uses people like Matthew, who was a tax collector, a tax collector hated by the Jews. And would you guess who God in his wisdom would have write a gospel that was particularly focused on the Jewish people? Do you know who it would be? It would be Matthew, the tax collector. He would use someone like Paul, who was a good faithful Jew, someone that in all conventional wisdom you say he should be the apostle to the Jews. But do you know who God would send him to? He'd send him to the Pagans to the Gentiles. God uses the nobodies. He uses the people that everyone else says they can't do it. They're not good enough. It doesn't seem to work or seem to fit for them. He uses people like Abraham and Sarah who were too old to have kids. He uses people like David who were too young and too weak to fight the giants. He uses people like Ruth who were too foreign, or people like Esther who were too beautiful, or people like Isaiah who were too ugly. Uh, He uses people like Moses who had a stutter and couldn't even. And put together a couple sentences without feeling like he was stumbling over himself. He uses the nobodies. He uses people like this to change the world because in our weakness, God's power is made visible. So if you ever feel like you're not important enough or you don't have enough gifts or enough tools or you're not whatever, well, you're exactly the kind of person that God chooses to use. <laughs> We realize as we look at it, that the Bible is just full of stories of people who in the world's eyes can make no difference, but in the kingdom of God, it's the people who make no difference that actually make all the difference. I love this quote from Oswald Chambers. He said, All through history, God has chosen and used nobodies because of their unusual dependence on him, made possible by the unique display of his power and grace. He chose and used somebodies only when they renounce dependence on their own natural abilities and resources. This is so often we think that our life is about really doing great and extraordinary things for God. But we have to remember is it's not about doing great things for God. It's just about doing things for a great God. He'll take care of the greatness. We just have to show up and follow him and do what he calls us to in obedience. Just to do whatever he tells us to. Um, Reminds me of something that Jesus said. Uh, He explained it like this on several occasions. He said, what? what analogy can I use to explain the kingdom of God to you? What can I say that will help you to get with the kingdom of God? is like it's, like, it's like a mustard seed, he said. It's a small seed, really, it, it, you plant it in the ground and not that anyone would actually plant a mustard seed because the mustard plant was a weed, but that's not really the point. He said, it's just a small seed, you plant it in the ground and then eventually it grows up. It's a fairly large bush actually and, and birds could come and nest in it and, and, and it could provide shade for people and because it's a weed, weeds tend to spread rather quickly. This is the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts out very unimpressive, but eventually when it's put in the ground and it's just given time and the right soil and the right kind of uh, nutrition and the right kind of amount of water, oh, man, it can do incredible things, can it? So much more than you thought just a little, like a little seed could do. So what? what's another example that I could use? Maybe the kingdom of God is like a little bit of yeast that you put it into a batch of dough and it just seems like it's a very small amount, wouldn't really make a big difference. He says, but, but eventually it works its way through the entire batch and it makes the whole bread rise. See, Jesus understood this principle and he was trying to teach it to people. He says the kingdom of God is not about the big and the extraordinary and starting with these great plans and grand strategic visions. It's about doing small things in faithful obedience to God right where you are. It's about doing ordinary things exceptionally well. It's about living out your faith and your life right where you are to just to, to put your roots down and just to, to walk in obedience with him, to follow him, to receive his spirit and to live out of that place of faith in the course of your daily life, to live life with God. That's what the kingdom of God is like. That's what the rule and reign of God is like. It starts small. It seems insignificant. It uses nobodies that the rest of the world would totally disregard. And God uses that to produce incredible things that people would never even begin to dream of. That's what the message is about. And we remember that we, God's kingdom comes as his will is done that the rule and reign of God comes in our lives as we do his will, and that when you do his will, no matter how small or how big you think it is, um, you take back a little bit of this fallen world for God and his kingdom. Is that we live in just a, I mean, obviously fallen world where not everyone is great, and not everyone does great things, and not everyone does things for the right motives and the right reasons, and there's a lot of sin, and there's a lot of brokenness, and there's a lot of pain, and a lot of hurt, and a lot of death, Uh, and we're not in control. Sound like 2020, right? Um, God's kingdom comes as his will is done. And when you do his will, even if you think it's so small and so meaningless and so um, insignificant, it takes back just the smallest, smallest bit of territory for his kingdom. And, And part of the reason I think that's so important is because you look back over this year and ask yourself where you saw those opportunities in your life. Maybe look forward to the year ahead and say, where, have I seen, where, where do I see those opportunities moving forward in the year ahead? Where are those places where I can, I can submit to him, I can do his will in my life? And so often, like we make that so complicated. People try to say, what is God's will for my life? We try to find this big cosmic map for what God's will is. Well, his will in most situations is is fairly simple. I mean, it's not really so much about what job you have or who you marry or what car you drive or how many degrees you get. Really, it's about um, loving your neighbor and praying for people and giving generously and serving the people around you and walking with humility in the course of your daily life and spending time with Him, whether that's in prayer or reading scripture or uh, or treating people like, like you think that you would want to be treated by them or loving people who think very differently from you and act very differently from you and willing their good, even if it's at cost to yourself it means like seeking and pursuing wisdom pursuing his kingdom his rule and reign in your life above all else and trusting that everything else will be taken care of besides that's what God's will looks like it's so often not about those huge big things that we tend to make it I mean that's important too but Jesus makes this point like if you just follow him you trust him you do his will in the small things eventually you'll find his will in the big things too God's kingdom comes as his will is done and the reason that all of this is so important and the reason that all of this fits together is because as Paul is closing out this letter to the Ephesians. He just wants, I think, to remind them as much as anything um, that the message that he declared to them, the message that he gave them is one that, that is not separated from the rest of their ordinary life. It's just in the course of your ordinary lives, seek wisdom, be filled with the spirit of wisdom and of revelation, Uh, pray and seek God and trust him to do immeasurably more than all you could ask or imagine. You've been saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not anything that you've done yourselves and now live out that relationship with him as he is creating you to be a new person, and as he is bringing about in your relationship with other people a new humanity that we would call the church. A church that's not a building, but a church that's the people of God filled with the Spirit of God that will be a transformative presence for him in the world, full of a bunch of nobodies that the world would think is really not that important and really not that impressive, but it would become the greatest force the world has ever seen and ever known. It would change the landscape of human history and have the power to make nations and tyrants bend the knee to the name of Jesus. As we close out this time together, I just, I wanna just remind us of a couple things. Um, It's just something that I think is important because I I think we maybe struggle with it sometimes. It's one of these Psalms that I really like. For me, it's, it's really important. It's Psalm 90, verse 12. It says, teach us, O Lord, to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In case you didn't know it, you only have so many days. You only have so many hours and so many minutes on this earth. And my encouragement to you, and I think what Paul would say to you, and I think certainly what Jesus says, is don't waste them. Don't waste it doing whatever you think is going to bring you the most happiness in the moment. Don't waste it doing whatever you think is going to be the best thing for you in the moment. Don't waste it doing whatever you feel is right in your own eyes. Seek first the kingdom of God. Don't do stuff in the moment because you're, you're so concerned about what other people are going to think or how they're going to praise you or celebrate you or say what a wonderful person you are, how religious or pious you are. You only have so many days. Teach us, Lord, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom because one day you will stand before Jesus and you will give an account for how you spent those minutes and those days in your life. And, and that's not to be a scary thing. It's not supposed to be something where you're like, oh man, I'm gonna stand before Jesus and he's gonna say, well, you looked at that thing that you shouldn't have looked at. You thought that thought that you shouldn't have thought. You spent your time there doing, no, no, no. It's to look at the overall trajectory and course of your life and say, what were you doing? Were you with me? Sure, you made mistakes. God, he's incredibly, he is more gracious and forgiving than we give him credit for. So for those mistakes, those mess ups, those slip ups, me, you're forgiven in Christ. But it's important for us to remember that as you look at your life to trust, like you will stand with him one day and he'll say, okay, what did you do and who did you do it for? In Matthew 6, Jesus talks a lot about this in the Sermon on the Mount in general. I mean, just that that you do what you do. Don't do it for the praise of people. Don't do it so that other people see it and recognize you. Don't do your righteousness so that people say, wow, what a pious person you are. Oh my gosh, do you see how great they are? No, 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 do it for God. And if you do it for God, then you have stored up for yourselves treasures in heaven that no one can take away. When you do stuff for people, people will disappoint you. When you do stuff for God, God will never disappoint you. It's this incredible moment that happens. Jesus at one point sends his disciples out on this mission, right? They're still, I mean, doing stuff in, in, uh, around the Galilee and in this region, he sends them out to two by two to preach and to teach and to heal. And when they come back to him, they say, wow, Jesus, that was so cool. You know what happened, demons submitted to your name and like we preached and people responded and we healed and like they got better and Jesus that's so amazing. Jesus said, don't rejoice because the demons know your name. Rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Don't rejoice because people know you or you have a bunch of followers, you have a bunch of friends, you have a bunch of people who think you're so wonderful. Rejoice because your father knows you. Because those people and that recognition and that praise, it fades away. I was reminded of it this week in this this old hymn. It's called Be Thou My Vision. It says, um, you know... Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Be my inheritance, God, now and always. It's not about what people praise you for. It's not about the work that you do that gets the recognition. It's not about whether or not you get your name in the paper. It's about what you do for Jesus and what you do without any eye on reward, without any eye on the recognition that you get from it. Because that kind of stuff, it makes a difference in eternity. I was reminded of something else, another poem this week. Um, I'm just feeling very poetic today. Um, it goes a little something like this. You may have heard it before. It says, only one life, twill soon be past, and yet only what's done for Christ shall last. Everyone else may miss the things that you do, and you may not get the recognition you think you deserve, but God doesn't miss a moment, and he doesn't miss an instant. And what you do in humility for him and what you do and when your motives are, are in line with his heart and in line with his kingdom, the people around you may not recognize it, but God does. When you say no to the friends who ask you to go out and drink, but you choose to stay in or you choose to go and visit someone who's having a hard time, God sees that and he knows. When you choose to um, make the hard decision and end that, and that relationship, God knows, and He knows the reasons why. When you, when you choose um, to take this job over that, that maybe doesn't pay as much, and people question your decision, God knows. When you choose to serve Him and do things for Him and His kingdom, God knows. When you choose to give extravagantly to the church and people say, oh man, you shouldn't do that, it's such a waste of money, God knows. He knows the reasons why, and what you do for Him, it has rewards that echo into eternity. And the reason I just wanted to encourage you with that is because so often we can get so fixated on the here and now that we forget um, that what God is inviting us into is to live a life worthy of the calling that he's placed before us. To live a life out of obedience to him and relationship with him and trust that in the end that will produce the kind of fruit in your world that you really wanted to see all along. That if you think you can just manipulate things and by working harder and by doing this or doing that, that that's how you're gonna achieve it. In the end, you're not going to. But if you just seek first his kingdom and its righteousness, everything else will be taken care of. Just one more story for you today. The sun's coming up, it's about to cut me off. But uh, there's a story of this one guy, he was a a medieval monk. He started out actually as a soldier. He's really pursuing fame and fortune and glory and all of those things that soldiers sometimes do. and uh, eventually he becomes a monk. Eventually he spends his time being a dishwasher in a monastery, which doesn't sound like a very glorious task, does it? Um, and, and as he's doing this, um, he begins to contemplate on what God is doing in him. And so he, he eventually sees his life as being the greatest task that he has is to just wash dishes for Jesus. He then wrote a book about it. Uh, it's called Practicing the Presence of God. At the time, no one knew who he was. Uh, Eventually people would recognize his name was Brother Lawrence and he, I mean, the book has sold millions and millions and millions of copies across the world today. He was a nobody that God used to do incredible things. It's another example of what happens when you live your life for God and with him. And so as we close out this time today, I just want to encourage you, maybe you don't feel like that what you have to offer is that great, but remember that what you do for Jesus lasts. And that even if the rest of the world thinks you're a nobody, even if you don't feel like you get your name in the paper, even if you don't feel like you have that big or that important of a role, it matters to God. Your life matters to God and what you do with him and for him, it matters. And it does make a difference in our world. Listen, if you're not dead, you're not done. And God's got more for you in this life. So I'd like to pray for you, however you may find yourself um, today, just to, to pray that you would receive an experience uh, the fullness of life with Him. So, if you would, just invite you to bow your heads, your heart, your hands, wherever you are, and um, and let's pray together. Um, Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for the gift and the grace that you've given us. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together digitally, um, however we may find ourselves this week. We Pray that the lessons that we've learned from this study in Ephesians together would sink into our hearts and our minds and our souls. That you would recall them at the right time and in the right ways and the right places. That you'd help us to live as a people obedient to you that we would follow your word and your way and your will and as we do your will that we would see your kingdom come in our lives and the world around us and so lord we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our lives in our families in our workplaces in our jobs in our schools in our communities, in our governments, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done as we submit to you, as we follow you. I pray that everyone who's watching, wherever they may be watching, whenever they may be watching, that they would be filled with a sense of your presence, they would be filled with your Holy Spirit right now um, to experience your life with them, that they would live out the fruit of that life in the course of their lives. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your son, Jesus, who shows us and models to us what humility really looks like in the world. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear that kingdom vision and help us each and every day to seek first your kingdom and its righteousness and trust truly that everything else will be taken care of as well. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen, amen. Well, thanks for joining us this week, guys. Couple things we close out here today. Uh, as we move into November and December, just uh, if you're not subscribed to our email list, that'd be a good thing to do. If for no other reason than that you can stay on target with what we're actually going to be doing. Uh, with COVID numbers on the rise in our region and and just so much uncertainty in, in this time of year, uh, we're just going to have to be flexible and be adaptable and be agile. Uh, those are three great buzzwords that just tell you to to just. Relax, like it's gonna be okay. Um, And just to stay tuned to what we're doing. I mean, whether it's in person or just staying digital or whatever that might look like, um, do encourage you to stay in touch with that and just keep, keep on the lookout. Thank you for your patience uh, during these times. It's been so helpful and so appreciated. Um, And do let us know any way that we can help and serve you. I think one of the most important things you can do is to take what we talk about here, whenever you watch this, whether it's on Sunday or Monday or Thursday or whenever you get to this or listen to it throughout the week, is to be able to take that and to put it into practice in your life. And so if that's something that you feel like you're struggling with, if maybe you want some of that connection, you want to meet with some other people, whether that's in person or digitally or however that may be, do reach out and let us know you can just comment on one of these posts wherever you find it you can send us a DM send us an email Um, you find all that in the links in this post but do reach encourage you to reach out um, and let us know. Second thing I do wanna say is just thank you as always for the continued support and continued gifts, whether that's support in prayer, whether that's support in terms of mission and ministry, or whether that's financial support. All of it's appreciated, all of it's helpful. Uh, if you do wanna to continue to give, you can do that at the online giving link. You can find that link in this post, or you can go to kendrickscreek.org, find the online giving tab. Text the word Kendrick's Creek to 77977. That'll take you to the online giving link. You can always, of course, send cash or checks. That always helps too. But the biggest thing that it helps us to do is to continue to do this and continue to support people in the community. Because this is, in case you didn't know, it's kind of a hard time for some folks and we love to be able to be generous when and where we can. So thank you for your support. It's really helped us in, in a lot of really neat ways to share, um, share generosity and to share Jesus with people. So uh, however you find yourself this week, know that I'm praying for you. I love you. I wish the best for you. And if there's anything that I can do to help you, please do reach out and let me know. And whatever you do, don't tell me and start that conversation by saying, I know you're busy. Look, everybody's kind of busy, but that's literally my job. So uh, reach out and let me know how I can help you. I'm not too busy for that. That's literally what I'm here for. So thank you. God bless you. Y'all have a great week. Take care. Make a great day. We'll catch you next time.